your Bibles, go ahead and grab them with me. Go to Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to stand uh, today. Aren't, isn't it so great to start a service with baptism? Uh, I've just been so excited about that. Um, thank you guys so much for following uh, the obedience that God has set up for us to be baptized. Uh, and this just goes for everybody. If you've been praying, considering, thinking about baptism, please come talk to me, one of the elders, church leaders, anybody. We'd love to talk to you about what baptism is, what it means. Uh, and Andre would love to make the water hot for you, wouldn't you, Andre? It is no chore for you to set that up, is it? No, we would do it every week. I mean, how, wouldn't it be great if we never took it down, that baptism is just happening so often that there's no reason for us to move it? So um, baptism is such a great way to start off uh, today. Uh, but last night, Christ Through Baseball, which Lisa is going to give us an update here at the end of the service, uh, had a fundraising banquet, and it was incredible. There's so many people there and got to hear about all that God's doing in Nicaragua, um, and, and I didn't know, but Jake Fromm was coming to be the speaker, I knew that part. What I didn't know, that I was going to be the entertainer of Jake Fromm, right? So uh, they're like, hey, take Jake and his wife and sit with them. I'm like, I literally have nothing in common with Jake Fromm. Uh, Jake Fromm, if you don't know, UGA quarterback, 2017-19, now he's in the NFL, he's played for the Giants, Bills, <clears throat> and Washington Commanders, uh, kind of a big deal. And so I was just like, hey, Jake, I know you're intimidated by my presence here. Uh, settle down a little bit. It's just, it's just me. I'm just a pastor, just on your level. Uh, but there was, uh, over dinner, we were talking to ask him a bunch of questions to him and his wife both. Um, and what was incredible, there's, there's two things that were pretty remarkable. One, just his humility. I mean, him and his wife love Jesus. Uh, it's, it's just evident in the way that they talk, the way they gave up an evening to come speak at this fundraising banquet. Uh, it was just incredible. But the more that they talked, you could, you could tell that they lived in a different universe, right, in a different world. The people they knew, uh, their schedule, their calendar, how they interacted. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much money they have, but um, you can Google how much money they have. Like, th that's when you're on another level, right? When you, no one Googles Gabe Dodd's net worth. That ain't going to pop up. Like, 20 bucks is not very impressive. Uh, but when you can do that, and so the, the whole time I just kept thinking, man, man y'all are just different. In almost every sense of the word, y'all are in a different plane, different reality. And what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 5 through 7 is what does it look like for us to be different? What does it look like for us to be citizens of the kingdom that when people sit down and talk to us, when they interact with us, they just go, something's just different. The way that you talk, the way that you joke, the way that you love one another, there's something about you that's just different. And we can go, yeah. Of course, we're citizens of God's kingdom. That's what's different about us. And so Jesus is teaching us this through uh, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 on, on what does it look like then to be citizens of that kingdom. And so we've been doing a pretty deep dive into this text uh, because it's one of Jesus' most famous. So, so this morning, we're just going to look at four verses together and tease out a little bit of what does it look like for us to be citizens of God's kingdom. So uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to read verses 1 through 4. Uh, if you have a copy of God's word, would you flip there, stand with me, and in honor of reading of his word. Matthew 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so they may be giving in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Father, would you open up this text to our mind? Would you illuminate it in our hearts this morning as we come to study? Uh, Father, we want to hear from you. Uh, even though it might be painful at times as, as our life is uh, radically reoriented back to the way that you would have it to be. Uh, Father, speak to us, encourage us this morning. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So over, and I know I've said this a lot, but just contextually where we are, Jesus was doing a bunch of miracles. I mean, he was getting a massive following of people that were following after him. So Jesus withdrew to the mountains. Of course, all the people came and followed him. And he sat down with all authority, teaching them the word of God. This is what the Old Testament means. Here's how I'm a fulfillment of that. I mean, he was just had a long time of teaching. And for the Christian believer, this is simply the greatest sermon ever preached. For Jesus sitting down, as we read Matthew 5 through 7, we have to understand that it really was probably two, two and a half hour sermon of Jesus just teaching one thing after another. Just imagine being in that audience, being in that crowd, listening to him teach with all authority that was given to him. But one of the things that we've probably noticed, and, and I know I have, maybe you have, is just how difficult this teaching can be. Anyone else felt this? I mean, week after week after week, God is uh, throwing our face right to the book and saying, this is what the citizen of kingdom of God looks like. And this is not something you can do on your own authority or your own power. This is only by the blood of Christ that you can walk in this. It's because God has given us his righteousness, calling us sons and daughters. This then is how we become obedient. But, but the teachings can be difficult. I read this last week, and I just keep chuckling about this all week. C.S. Lewis, all about the Sermon on the Mount, said this. When someone asked him, does he care for, does he enjoy the Sermon on the Mount? Here's how he responded. As to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. So we should not come here, especially, I mean, church in general, but especially as we're working through Matthew 5 through 7, working through the Sermon on the Mount, and just love it. And just go, man, this, this is exactly, I'm killing it, I'm doing it, everything Jesus is saying, tally, tally, tally. No, it's, it's quite the opposite. Every time we read and study this passage, it's, it's creating this desire in us that I cannot do this. I cannot do what the gospel, what the law requires. And Jesus is going, exactly. This is why I came, to give you life, to be the atonement for you, to show you that you cannot be the perfect one that the law requires, but I am and I can. So everything that he's laying out here, yes, because we're pursuing holiness, we should pursue with everything that we have. But at the end of the day, we should rest in the fact that Jesus fulfilled all of these. He fulfilled every law down to the crossing of every T, dotting of every I. He, he physically completed all of this so that we can have the atonement that we require. But look back at verse 1 because we're really in, in part 3 of this sermon. So, so Jesus, I mean, just like me, uh, I'm not saying Jesus is just like me. I like Jesus. That's a better way to say that. Uh, Jesus picked up his preaching style from me. That's not what I meant to say. Uh, I picked up my preaching style from Jesus. And you can tell these different points that Jesus is making. 
So, so we saw point number one was to be attitudes, blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. And then he moved into part two, which would be, you've heard it say, now I say to you. You've heard it said, now I say to you. But now we move into part three, which is the entirety of chapter six. So Jesus opens up part three with chapter six, verse one, which says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So last week we ended with loving your enemies, praying for those that persecute you. And we all loved that, right? I mean, everybody walked out of church high-fiving. I cannot wait to get busy doing what Jesus told me to do. Who has offended me this week? I cannot wait to get to the prayer closet and just pray and love on them. No, that's what none of us saw. And I've already heard some accounts of people that took this charge serious and went to pursue and love on and encourage their enemies. Taking people to coffee, taking people to lunch just to show them how much they're taking serious the call of the gospel, which is a beautiful thing. But we move into part three where Jesus is saying, because this agape love is not like brotherly love, it's not something you say, but it's something you do. Because I'm calling you to live out your righteousness. Because that's a big deal. Love your neighbor, love your enemies, love those that persecute you. That's nothing that we can say, oh, I love them. That your love is shown by the way that you act, the way that you behave. That's literally what agape love is. It's always shown by what it does. So Jesus knows where we're going, that if we're supposed to live out, if we're supposed to show out our love, our righteousness to those that are going to be watching, we've got to be really careful then to not pay too much attention to how much people are watching our righteousness. That if we're saying, look at me, look at what I've done, Jesus told me to do this, I did it, look how great I am, we've just short-circuited the entire process. And, and there's two audiences here that Jesus is teaching this to. The first are, are the disciples, the ones that were healed by Jesus, or the ones that were poor and impoverished and were following after Jesus because they didn't feel like they fit in anywhere else. That, that no one loved them, no one cared for them. They've had this ailment for 30, 40, 50 years. And this guy, Jesus, loved them, provided for them, protected them. And so now Jesus is bringing them into the fold and then teaching them, hey, be careful. When you follow me, when you do what I've called you to do, be careful that you don't make your righteousness shown for everyone. That doesn't turn into a facade. But then the other group of people that were there listening, we've already had a few interactions with them, were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the ones already doing this, the ones that were making a massive deal about who they are and what they do and, oh, look at me and look how perfect I am and, and all that stuff was happening already within the religious camp. So, so you have two different people, one that haven't even started their journey into pursuing righteousness yet. And then the other camp that have already excelled, they're doing it all, and they're the exact ones that Jesus is saying, be careful. Because within chapter 6, we have three specific, hey, watch yourself. Be careful when. And the first one we'll see this morning is when you give. Be careful when you give so that other people don't look at you and go, man, that is a fantastic God. The second one that we'll see next week is when you pray. So yes, we give. Yes, we pray. But don't pray so that you can have all this accolades and honor. Pray quietly. Pray silently. We'll see that next week. And then the last one that Xander will preach in a couple weeks is when you fast. So not if you fast, when you fast. So not if you give, when you give. Not if you pray, when you pray. Not if you fast, when you fast. Do it with all humility. Do it with all um, kindness and patience, not trying to get any kind of reward because Jesus says, if you seek rewards here, 
then they're done forever. You've already received them. You've already gotten them. And if you are, Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. If, if you're doing this just so that other people look at you and, and, and just are so excited and just keep praising you for who you are and what you're doing, you are a hypocrite. And in this idea, hypocrite in the Greek means an actor or a stage player, a, a performer. So Jesus is saying, if you are giving just so that you can get your accolades, you're nothing better than a stage performer. You're nothing better than uh, someone that's putting on a show. In the same way, if, if you pray just so that other can, people can hear you, you're nothing more than an actor or a stage performer. And if you fast just so that other can, people can see you, you are nothing more than an actor, a stage performer, a hypocrite. So what Jesus is trying to teach then is this. If you practice your righteousness of giving so that others can wow at how generous you are, you are a hypocrite and will not, reward any, excuse me, will not receive any reward in heaven. And so these guys, these religious leaders that are hearing this, know exactly what he's talking about. Because when, when they would give within church, they would drop it in, or within church, within the synagogue, they would drop their offerings in such a way in the offering bins that it would just ring out. That it would make such a loud noise and they'd stand there all piously, dropping in as many coins as possible just so that everyone can stop and marvel just at how incredible these men are. And then when they would give to a charitable need, they would literally carry around trumpets. And they would sound their trumpet, and they would make a big to-do, and, and they would carry around like, here, here's the person I just helped. Not, don't focus on them, focus on me. They would literally blow trumpets to get praises and awards for the generosity that they have. And Jesus is teaching that a righteous man gives, but how they give is what matters. And I'll just be honest, I don't see a silver trumpet sitting next to anybody this morning. I don't. I don't see this massive desire for us to draw so much attention to what we're doing and how we're living. I would say Redeemer Church as a whole is a pretty humble, modest, meek church. No one is really giving any kind of, uh, like, look at me, look at all I've done. Matter of fact, there's been quite a few times in my year plus here that people have made special donations and, hey, I want this money to go to this person, and don't they dare ever find out where it came from. That's typically the conversation I have, which is super encouraging. So, so if we're not the Pharisees, then we are the disciple makers. If we're not the Pharisees, then we're disciples hearing this message for the first time. We're not the ones walking around with silver trumpets and blowing horns and, and making big accolades about when we give. But we're the ones that are learning maybe for the first time. If we're going to be citizens of the kingdom, God is actually calling us to give. The, the charge is serious that we are to give. So for us, what is Jesus teaching us this morning? It's simply this. Citizens of the new kingdom of God are charitable, cheerful givers to the church, to the poor, and to the needs around us. Failure to do so is the opposite side of hypocrisy coin. So if the hypocrites are the ones that are doing it for a show, they're, they're pretending, they're living out this facade, they're getting all of this attention but if we would call ourselves Christ followers and we're not giving, then it's the same side of the hypocritical coin. It's the same side of us saying we're nothing more than actors or stage performers. We show up to church, we do this, we partake, we don't participate. It's the exact same side. We're performing, we're just showing up to do the religious duties, but we're not actually in. 
And so it's so easy for us to look at the Pharisees and throw so much shade at them for the way that they behave. But if, if we're coming in and partaking, never giving back, never doing what God has called seriously for us to do, which is give to the needs around us, then we're just actors and stage performers as well. Now, let me go ahead and put this caveat, because I know exactly what's happening right now in this room. Are we really about to hear a sermon about giving? I mean, some of you are already calling, texting, saying, hey, man, give me that emergency phone call. I've got to go. Pastor's talking about giving. Like, it's already happening. People get so uncomfortable about this idea of giving and what does it mean to tithe, offerings, all that sort of stuff, that if you would have known, and I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you would have known what was coming, you might not have showed up this morning because people don't want to come to hear guilt trip. People don't want to hear about giving and tithe. They just don't want to hear it. So, so let, me, let me encourage us in quite a few ways. Number one, I teach expository sermons, right? At, at Redeemer, we're going to pick a book of the Bible and go line by line, verse by verse through it. This was not something I said, you know what, elders, here's what I want to do. I really want to guilt trip some people today. I've been shaming my kids. It's not working anymore. Can I, can I just get in the pulpit and shame a bunch of people about giving? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do, preacher. Like that, that's, that's not how this happened. If I got to pick and choose what it is that I preach, I would not have preached on divorce and remarriage a couple weeks ago. I can promise you that. And then in my own flesh, I probably wouldn't have preached about uh, loving your enemies and praying for those that persecute you because I don't want to hear that either. So as we pick a book of the Bible and we work through it, we have to be faithful and cover all that God has for us. N number two, money is everywhere. I mean, we, we could all probably say within this weekend, we've had a conversation with our spouse about spending money. I, I don't know if you don't have kids in the room, this isn't for you. Uh, but for me, I'm already having to say, hey, babe, I know back to school shopping's coming. We've got four kids. They can do without some stuff. Anybody else? Like, let's go to Goodwill. We don't have to go buy brand new everything. They'll ruin it in six weeks anyways. And this shirt came from Goodwill, and it fits just fine. Right? So, like, like we've already had conversations in our personal life about money. Why would we not talk about money here? Because it affects all of us. There's things in your life I cannot relate to and vice versa. But we can all, when it comes to money, have the same conversations. And it's almost like Jesus knew that because he has a lot to say about money. The Bible actually has a lot to say about money and what we do with it and how we treat it. So that's where we get to verse 2 this morning when it says, Thus, when you give to the needy. When you give to the needy. So, so this word needy, depending on your translation, it might say alms. There's a bunch of different ways for how this is explained. But really the Greek word just means a nonprofit or charitable organization. So when you're giving to the needy, when you're giving to a nonprofit, when you're giving to charity, the question is not saying that if you give. The question is when you give. Because we all know God has given, if, if you're a child of God, God has freely sent his son to take, his or take our place on the cross. He's given us so much. So Jesus is going, if I've given you this much grace, if I've shown you this much mercy, then why wouldn't we show that same grace and mercy around us? That is just par for the course for the scriptures. The Old and New Testament would both agree that charity um, is for in the church and outside of the church. But when we get to this idea, we really have to talk, stop and talk about the when. 
that when we give, and there's a lot of statistics that we can pull and, and figure out, but, but for those that have been set free from sin and bondage, brought into the newness of Christ, by and large, and I don't know the statistics for here, but by and large, the Christian community uh, is not the best at generosity. And when we talk about ideals of ideals, I can be an idealistic at some degree. When we talk about ideals of ideals, here's just me. I I lean more libertarian anyways. Anybody else? Like this government I'd rather not deal with. So ideals of ideals, there would have to be no foster care system. The church would just cover it. There would have to be no welfare system. The church would just cover that we would be so generous in our ways that we don't have to trust the government agencies to take care of the widows and orphans which Jesus called us to do that the church would actually do it that's where ideals of ideals where I want to land that the church is so prosperous that we can just do it and I'm not talking about building statues and all this incredible like feats that really mean nothing they're getting up at rubbish one day but taking the funds that the Lord gives us and serving like we're supposed to serve that that's where I would want to land but by and large, the church, uh, the regular attenders, here's, here's a statistic for you. Regular attenders of the church that contribute to the church, just go ahead in your mind, think about that percentage. Um, what is the percentage of people that come to a church regularly and actually give to the needs of that church? You got it in your mind? 25%. According to Apollos.com, 25% of regular attenders actually contribute to the needs of the church, the missions of the church, and what the church is able to do in its community and across the world. 25%. And so I have a bunch of different biblical reasons that I just want to throw out real quick as we're walking through this of why. If Jesus says, not if you give, but when you give, and we don't even have to get to the part about don't sound the trumpets, don't make a big deal about it, because we're still at the only 25% of the people give anyways. So, so we don't even have to get to the part of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. We really need to get to Jesus saying, if you're going to be citizens of the kingdom, we are a charitable people. We are a people that give out of the abundance. We love to give. We love to serve. We do everything we can with the spirit of generosity. But we're still at the point of 25% of people get that message, 75% go, I'll give when it's convenient. So, so let me just throw out a couple reasons and, and see the ones that you resonate with. I think the first reason we are not charitable with our money is because we don't understand that it's not actually ours. We don't understand that, that what we have is not actually ours. And we can hear that and go, yeah, preacher, I know what you're about to say, I get it. But, but we don't get it. We don't stop, we don't slow down enough to really understand that the money that has hit our checking account is not ours. Now, now I'm going to do something in here that I've never actually done. I'm going to say a nice word about Carl Eaton, all right? I know, hold on. You're about to lose your hair on this one, Carl. Um, Too late. Sorry, I I was trying to be generous and I can't even be generous. Uh, so when I first met Carl, went to his house, and, and him and his family have a beautiful home, farm. Uh, it's, it's incredible what they're trying to do for God's glory in the place that God has blessed them with. And I said, Carl, I love your house. And y'all all know how just witty Carl can be. And Carl said, yeah, the bank thinks a lot about it too. And I've never really thought about that, that, that we take so much pride in our home that this is ours. This is something that we've done. We purchased this. But to Carl's point, Put paying your payments for a couple months and see if it's still yours. 
nothing is really ours. And so we take that principle and we put our lenses on the gospel. We clearly see that the only way that you're making money right now in this moment is because God has wired you, gifted you, and given you the ability to earn that money. There's, there's no other way. And I know the example I always use is basketball players. I've worked so hard to get here. Yeah, bro, but you're 7-1. It's not that difficult to dunk if you're 7-1. And there's no amount of jumping jacks or squats or anything you've done to make yourself 7-1. It just happens. And so, so we get so prideful in who we are and we work hard. Well, where did that work ethic even come from, brother? It's from the Lord. It's a gift of grace given to you. Nothing is ours. There's no way for us to earn anything. There's nothing that's ours. God has blessed us all with it. Look back in the trajectory of your life, your college education, the way that you were raised, the way that you did this, the way that you did that. All of that is freely a gift of God. Desiree said in the office this morning when we were, me and her and uh, Jordan and Alex were talking about baptism, uh, just how fearful she is of talking about talking in front of crowds and, and how could I ever do this and stand up in front of the stage and blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't think I've told you this, guys, before, but um, I got kicked out of speech class. Have I told you all this? So I had such a speech impediment that I got to fifth grade and they said, hey, good luck, kid. We can't help you. There's nothing else you can do to be successful in life. I would just suggest getting some kind of blue-collar job that you don't have to talk to a lot of people because you're going to sound pretty dumb. They didn't actually say that part, but that's how I took it. And so now, fast-forwarding to where we are now, there's no way I can take credit for what I get to do for a living because it wasn't that long ago that I was told, don't pursue any career with public speaking. Every gift that we have is a gift from God. We don't own anything. And so at the end of Matthew, which we'll get to in a couple years, don't worry, you, you will forget the text before we get there. And in Matthew 25, there's this parable that Jesus told where Matthew 25, 14 through 30, I'm just going to paraphrase, where it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, according to each of his abilities. Then he went away. And so the point of Jesus trying to make is, hey, I'm, I'm going away. I'm going to entrust you with this while you're here, but don't forget, none of this is yours. I'm coming back, and you've got to give an answer for how you spent this money. So he comes back, the one with five doubled it, the one with two doubled it. He was saying, well done, good and faithful servant, but he gets to the one that he gave the one to, and he squandered it. He was not careful about what God had entrusted him with. And he said, Jesus responded in this parable, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Then you ought to have instead invested my money with the bankers, and at the coming I should have received what was my own with interest. And then at the end, verse 30, cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The principle is clear. Everything that God has given us is a gift from God. He's entrusted us with it. And there will come a day we'll have to be accountable, we'll have to answer to how we've done with what he's entrusted us with. And this principle is bigger than just finances, right? It's, it's husbands and spouses, it's kids, it's work. All these things that the Lord has entrusted us with, we're going to have to answer for what we've done with it while he was gone, while he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. What have we done with what he so freely blessed us with? And the idea that I don't think many of us think about or consider, 
is when we're doing what that last servant did, we're, we're burying it in the ground, we're not taking steps to be a good steward of what God has given us, we're robbing him. We're robbing God of his glory. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 puts it this way. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down the blessing until there is no more need. So the scripture is clear. God has given us this. And we must be a wise steward of how we have been entrusted with it. And Jesus says, not if, but when you give, this is the way that you do it. So that's the first reason. We don't understand that it's not ours to begin with. Number two, we don't understand that it's an act of faith. That giving, in fact, is an act of faith. What we do is an act of faith. Because because you, you might be thinking this even right now in this moment. When I get financially a little bit more secure, I would love to give. It's the same way people say, uh, when I'm ready to have kids. Brother, you ain't never going to be ready. Diapers and formula are always going to be going up. I don't know what kind of black market thing is happening, but they go up and up and up always. You're never going to be ready to have kids. In the same way, we think that once we get to this X amount, once we've done this thing, then we're going to start giving. And I would just gently push back and say, brother, sister, show me that in the scriptures. Because that's not what Jesus says. Jesus didn't say, when you give, once you've maxed out your Roth IRA for the year. And when you give, once you've gotten to this amount where you feel comfortable, then you can start. Jesus didn't say any of that. He said, when you give, period. Do it. That's what the life of a believer does because giving always requires faith. It's always going to be difficult. And, and maybe there's some older saints in this room that could rebuke me on this. I would, I would take it. But I don't know that it's ever going to get easier. The way that our family operates, and this isn't boastful, this is just my heart. The way that we operate is once we get comfortable, then we up it. Then once we get comfortable, then we up it. And so we're not trying to hit some certain percentage. We're not trying to, like, okay, I've got here, I'm good. We're going, no, 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 we're going to keep giving until it's uncomfortable. And once it becomes comfortable, we're going to push it up again. And our desire would be to, to far outweigh the 10%. I mean, how great would it be to be at 90-10, right, reverse tithing. We live on 10% and give away 90. That would be a beautiful thing for the kingdom. And it's not so that we can walk around and blow our trumpets and say, look what I've done. But it's because if God has given us so much freely, we're going to continue to step out on faith. And when we step on faith, God is faithful and just to protect us. And we see the same idea. When we think about giving requires faith, consider James 2, 14 through 20. What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Some will say you have faith and I have works. And I will say, show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. So the idea of giving requires faith and it requires works. We're going we're gonna to show that we're stepping out on faith by giving. Not only here, but everywhere. Anywhere we come in contact with, we see a need. We meet it as far as we can. And number three, I think some of the things that we don't understand is we don't understand it's truly an act of worship. 
that when we give, we're recognizing, God, you've freely blessed us with all of this. We cannot wait to give it back to you. And we see this famous story after Lazarus was raised back from the dead, and you have Mary washing his feet. And she's pulling out this perfume and this ointment that would have been almost a year's wages. And Judas is going, what are you doing? You, you could have given that money to us, and we could have given it to the poor. And we all know the rest of the story that Judas would have pocketed it and spent it on his own stuff. But Jesus, Judas is losing his mind over this, and Jesus is going, no, 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 this is an act of worship. This is a good and right thing for her to participate in, that when we give, we're realigning our hearts, which leads us to a deeper level of worship. I mean, it's a spiritual discipline for us to go, none of this is mine. I'm freely going to give it back to you. You're the creator. You're the author, perfecter of our faith. And through this, I'm going to realign my heart to worship you, and I'm going to lead this with my checkbook. Because we all know. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. We spend money on what we worship, right? Right? We spend money on what we worship. What we hold in a special place, we will be more than willing to spend a bunch of money on it. And so if we hold God to that esteem, we'll be more than willing to give back because he's freely blessed us. Number four, the reasons we don't understand, we don't understand the reward that we will receive in heaven, so we spend it now. We see this at the end of Matthew 6, 4, that in your father who sees in secret will reward you. But we're such an instant gratification culture, aren't we? We have no interest in waiting until the end of our lives to get the reward. We want it now. We don't know if the reward will come, and so we want it now. So we're going to buy a house that we can't afford, and we're going to spend money on cars that we don't know we can make the car payment, and we're going to take vacations on a credit card because we want it now. Jesus is going, instant gratification will kill you. Invest your money in what will last. And trust me, the reward I have for you when you reach eternity's gates is going to be far better than the vehicle that you're driving. It's going to be far better than the vacations that you really couldn't afford to begin with. And it's going to be far better than the house that has caused you to be poor. Don't waste your money on instant gratifications. Believe me when I say there will be a reward for you. Luke 16, 10 puts it this way. One is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? If you have not been faithful in what the servant to another, uh, what will then you give if it's your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one to despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so one of the reasons that we don't give is we don't understand the reward is coming for us. We want to spend me here and now in this moment. So, so those are maybe more universal, but let, let's talk more practical. And these are going to be maybe uh, firing missiles, not like the whole room. Not everyone's going to resonate with some of these, but some of us might. Some might not give in a charitable way to the church or to others because we don't trust church leadership or how churches will handle it. And I know we have a bunch of different backgrounds and church relationships uh, that has led us to here in this place. And I don't know the church backgrounds that you've come from, and I don't know the horror stories that you've walked through. I know church hurt is real, and what has led you here has probably been pretty broken road as far as different church experiences. Uh, but I, I can tell you this. Redeemer has no backdoor deals. 
I want you to be able to trust the church, the church leadership with all the finances that are coming in. The church as a whole approves the budget every single year. We as the staff, elders, we don't, we don't get just to make our own decisions. Like y'all know there's not a jet hanging out in the back 40 acres, right? Like, like when I leave here, I'm not going to hop on my private plane, eat my caviar, and like just go somewhere. I couldn't even, I'm so poor, I couldn't even think of somewhere to go. It was like go to Alabama. Like who, who's going to go to Alabama on a private jet? Or ever for that matter, Yes. If you're from Alabama, you know it's true. Don't, don't even lie. <laughs> Except for the Gulf. I like, like Orange Beach. That's, that's the redneck Riviera down there. Anyways, we digress. You can trust us with it. The, the budget that we have is posted right outside the men's bathroom. We're, we're not trying to hide away or steer away from here's how much God has given us and here's what we're going to do with it. And you as a church are the ones that voted that in. If you're a partner here at any moment, you can ask anything financial and we'll with joy answer that question because we're just stewarding the money that God has given us. That, that's all that we're trying to do. It's all we're trying to accomplish. There's no velvet curtain. There's nothing happening behind the scenes. Uh, we're not trying to be sneaky and we're not trying to spend money over here and like uh, build a statue of me out in the front. How creepy would that be? None of that is happening. Every dollar that you give to us, we take serious the charge of spending it in a well way. So, so you can trust, and I know trust and verify, and so come verify. Come talk to us at any moment. We will not shy away from those conversations. We want to have them. You have the right to ask any question at any time. But here's the other, and, and again, maybe more fine-tuned. This might not be in the entire room. But when you think about, on average, why does 25% of the church attendance only give, and that leaves 75% that doesn't? Here's, here's what I think. It's a psychological principle called the bystander effect. Have you all heard of this? So this lady back in uh, 1964, Kitty, I'm not even going to try her last name, uh, was murdered in New York City. So she was murdered inside an alleyway. And the best that they can tell, there were 38 witnesses that heard it, that saw it, heard her screaming for mercy for her life. 38 different people. So what happened? How many police... Uh, phone calls were made to 911 that night. Zero. Zero. So sociologists have developed this idea of the bystander effect to where when, when people heard that taking place, they just naturally assumed someone else is calling the cops. I don't have to. Someone else is intervening. I don't have to. Someone else is jumping in. I don't have to. So there's two different levels. The perceived diffusion of responsibility, which means there are more onlookers they are, the less personal responsibility individuals will feel to take action. And the social influence side of it, the, the, the means that, excuse me, social influence means that individuals monitor the behavior of those around them and determine how to act. So you have this idea that everyone is looking around trying to figure out if anyone else is making the phone call and assuming they are. And then we also just watch how people act and behave and act accordingly. So, so the masses here are ruling. We've always heard the 80-20 rule isn't always in effect, right? And we see this throughout this. If only 25% of people are keeping churches afloat across the country, no wonder the gospel influence is losing. No wonder we cannot make roads into this community, make roads into our world for the gospel when most churches are just worried about paying their bills. Because 25% of the people are paying for everything. 
until we sit here, even in this room. This is an incredible room, right? And we have the lights that work 90% of the time, and it's air conditioning, and we've got coffee, we've got baptisms. Uh, we're talking about missions and missions giving. And so I could see the temptation to come in here and go, man, the church doesn't need my money. The church is fine. I, 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 they look fine. They're acting fine. Obviously, Gabe's eating pretty well, so, like, we're good. We don't have to. They're, they're getting paid. Everything's fine. But, but there's two sides to that. One, unless you've asked questions, you don't know that we're fine. But two, once again, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say give if they're in need, but if they're fine, don't worry. Because again, I can promise you, as long as I'm the pastor here, if we meet and exceed budget, that's not going to a private jet fund. And that's not going to spend frivolously. That's going to, for, to advance the gospel here, U.S., and across the globe. That money's leaving here as fast as we can send it. Everything above and beyond budget is not going to make a big deal out of my salary, the other staff's salary. We're not taking private planes to Italy and enjoying all this frivolous things. That's not what's taking place. We're going to do everything we can to grow this campus, to advance the gospel. We're going to do everything we can to send as many missionaries and church planters across the globe as possible. So wouldn't it be a great problem, Redeemer Church, for us to sit back and go, God has blessed us with all of this money. Where does the gospel need to go most? Instead of sitting back going, can we make payroll this month? Can we pay to keep the lights on this month? I mean, wouldn't our efficiency as staff and elders be so much more prevalent and so much more helpful if that's the direction we could lead into, not sitting in meetings trying to figure out what we can cut and what we can't cut? That Satan is winning, distracting us away from those important conversations of how do we get the gospel out when we have to talk about finances all the time. And we see this prevalently. I mean, you start connecting the dots, 25% of people give. The average church is 77 people. The history of decline within American Christendom and evangelicum. What is the maybe a combinator among all of that? That we're not being wise stewards of what God has called us to be. Because giving, yes, is a command from the scriptures to us, but it's an incredibly difficult thing, and we can make excuses after excuses after excuses. And so for me, let me just play my cards on the table, right? Um, I'm the one that runs our books for our home. I'm the finance mind. Uh, when Bree and I got married, she looked at uh, just a couple of different things and go, I don't, I don't want to touch any of this. Gabe, you're it. And I said, okay, like I, I'm, I'm fine doing that. I'm fine running all that. So we got married. I was in ministry uh, making $18,000 a year, which is always great. And so not too long after, we were high school sweethearts, so what was it, nine months in, uh, we got pregnant because we really believed you're never ready to have kids, so let's just start now. We're poor. Let's just keep being poor, right? So, so we had uh, Auburn, and the same month, I guess a month apart, we bought our first home um, and had Auburn, and we were trying to figure out all of our finances together. Now, Bree, my lovely, beautiful wife, wife uh, lives in fantasy world, right? So... She's on, uh, she's here in maybe a sermon like this. I don't even know the genesis of it. I should have asked you this. And came home and said, hey, uh, keeper of the books, are we tithing? And of course, I laughed. Like, what are you talking, are we, are we tithing? Like, do you know our books right now? Like, do you know that I'm still making 18000 a year? We just bought a house. We just said, like, like, do you know the circumstances that are happening in our life right now? She's like, yeah, but are we tithing? I was like, honey. 
please. I, I, I kind of like don't like the word mansplaining, but that's totally what was happening, right? Like I was trying to like, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no way. And, and she just kept lovingly, persistently, yeah, but does the Bible call us to tithe? Yeah, but like, surely if Jesus knew our books, he would say, no, bro, you're good. You, you get a pass. Like, call me in six months. We'll, we'll talk again. And so she just kept, kept, I mean, she was just that, uh, in, in a very loving way, that annoying gnat in my ear that never went away. And so finally, out of spite, I just got so furious. I'm like, fine, we're going to start. I'm not happy about it. We're going to do it. We're not going to be able to afford it. I'm going to have to go to the church and try to get an advance on pay because what's happening. But fine, if this is what it's going to take to shut you up, sorry, kids, this is what I'm going to do. So we wrote the check, sent it off. Of course, how all these things typically go, what happened a couple days later? Newborn, 18000 a year, Honda Odyssey, transmission goes out. So it's kind of one of those self-pity. And again, Bree's just living in like happy-go-lucky world like she always does. I'm going, I don't know. I mean, not that we just tithe enough to pay for a transmission, but I literally have no clue what we're going to do. God, you said to be faithful, uh, faithful, and just, I mean, honestly, self-pity, and this is how you repay me. This is what you do, God, to repay. This is what you do. And so I'm, not to be graphic, but I'm literally in our house. We had a bathroom downstairs, sitting in the bathroom downstairs, praying. I I literally don't know. I'm supposed to be the leader of my household. I don't know what to do. My wife walks in, hands the mail, keeps walking. Within that mail was a check from Northside Hospital telling us that we overpaid for our delivery. Auburn. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you two factors. One, I don't overpay for anything. I'm the stingiest of the stingy, and I'm fact-checking every. I don't overpay for anything. And two, since when is a greedy hospital going to go, my bad, here, take it back. I know you just paid $500 for an ibuprofen, but here, you can have this check back. And it was in that moment where we go, God is faithful. If we trust him with our finances, God will provide. And we can share story after story after story of things like that. But I can honestly say from that moment forward, our, our giving has never wavered. Is it where we'd like it to be? No, of course not. But we've tested the Lord, as Malachi says, and we've seen him be faithful. So listen, I get it. You hear this story, you're going, man, ideal of ideals, I would love to give. I just can't. Neither could we, but trust the Lord to provide. So let's just, as we start to land this plane, let's get very personable for a second, can we? I mean, this is the moment if I wore glasses, I would take my glasses off and just get eyeball to eyeball with you, especially if you're a partner here at Redeemer Church. As I mentioned before, we, we've come up here and talked about financial givings and, and, and how much we've been able to give to missions, and we've really celebrated, and I think, I think we've contributed some to this bystander effect that we've seen take place where people hear all the incredible things and they see the property and go, man, the church doesn't need my money. We're just fine. But let me, let me, let me paint a little bit of a picture for you. So over the last couple years, and I don't have to go into detail, passes in the past, but over the last couple years, uh, the, the church has gone through some stuff, right? 2019 is some of it started. And then all churches, all businesses, all families, 2020, uh, we saw all that that took place. Uh, 2021, we had staff turnover. Uh, 2022, I was hired, Xander was hired. So 2023 for us 
is the first stable year of full staff that we've had in really four or five years. And so as we sat down to do the budget, we recognized just putting all of this together that our budget was going to have to go about 15% higher than it has year over year. And this isn't some frivolous spending. This isn't me writing in my contract uh, that I've got to have a square body LS. Like, like none of that was in there. That was just... Uh, that was just what it was. To add up all the numbers, here's what we have to have to make it. So we prayed, we considered, we presented that budget to the church back in November. Church voted unanimously, everything is fine, rocking and rolling. Well, just to be honest, and here's where we are as of date, uh, almost as an average week after week, uh, we're bringing in about 2,000 less a week than where we need to be. And so we're on an un sustainable trajectory trending in an unsustainable way. And I'm not saying, I mean, let me just take a step back. I probably should have prefaced this. All of this, so I've been in meeting after meeting after meeting over the last couple weeks, looking, praying, considering finances, all the while not even knowing that this text was going to line up with this Sunday perfectly. I mean, you're talking about coincidence or providence. This is just where it lands. So, so we didn't coke this up. We didn't move scriptures around. You can, I'll give you my preaching calendar and see how this lined up perfectly. This is something that God wants us to pray about and consider today. That we're averaging about 2,000 less a week. And as we're going, we're on an unsustainable track for us as a church. And so at, at the, the principle of it, there's going to be some things that are going to have to start being cut. We've already, as elders and treasurer this week, already made a couple cuts. Uh, and right now, nothing should really be feel, felt, per se, but moving forward, there, there, I mean, if things don't change, there might have to be cuts that we're going to start feeling. Now, please hear me. We're, we're doing everything we can to bring things back, to do the right. And there's a lot of people uh, that are working hard and sacrificially doing things to keep this church moving forward. Now, I'm going to say something, and this might be my last sermon I ever preach because of what I'm about to say. So if that happens, please hear me to say, I love you, and I will miss you. But here's one example of someone that's been sacrificially uh, taking the first step, the first shot across the bow. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have an external bookkeeper that we pay to keep all the books for us. Uh, that way, there, there's no one can say uh, there's insider spending or there's uh, money laundering. Anything happening within the church, all the things that people love to say about churches, we can go, not us, talk to them. Like, we have a safe bet. A third-party company is looking at the way we spend and where it's going, and again, it's not going for a private jet. But in, in that, we have to have, I keep saying that just so y'all know, my uncle calls me Creflo Dollar. I don't know if y'all know that. So he's a little up Creflo. So that's why I always throw out the jet stuff, because with him, I joke about that. Um, I'm also uncomfortable right now, so I'm going to keep making weird jokes to keep it going. So <laughs> that being said, because uh, this is a joy. I love talking about money and divorce and loving your enemies. Uh, yes, this is great. So uh, all that being said, uh, we have someone on the inside that helps keep the books and communicate to the external bookkeeper and make sure all those things are on the same page. Now, that is not a livable wage by no means, but it's more of a stipend that we're able to give to that person. Uh, but that person is given way more than that, that money is ever given time to. And so uh, the person I'm obviously talking about is Brandy, and I'm not going to look at her because she's going to kill me with eyeballs. Uh, but when all of this was happening, as being someone on the inside seeing everything, Brandy was one of the first to come and say, take me off payroll. I will gladly serve as a volunteer at the church, do the exact same role so the church can get in a better position financially. 
That's what it looks like for someone that loves the mission, vision of Redeemer Church to sacrificially say, take me off so that I can help the trajectory of the church to advance because the gospel matters. And so, Brandy, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you've done, the, the countless hours that you've served behind the scenes in that act of sacrificialness to keep us going. Don't kill me, we good? Okay. I was supposed to go to their house today for family groups. Boo, we ain't going. So you can kill me. Oh, they can come. All right. You can drown one of my kids. So, so seriously, thank you. Thank you for that. And so that's just where we are. From here moving forward, we just want to be more candid about it. We, we don't want to contribute to the bystander effect here. We don't want you to walk in and think everything's uh, sunshine and roses, and then behind the curtain we're running around like chickens with the heads cut off. We, we want to help you in the discipleship of your own soul, the sanctification of your own soul. Jesus says not give because Redeemer might be on an unsusceptible trajectory. Not what Scripture says. The Bible says give charitably so that you can become citizens of the kingdom because God has first loved you out of that abundance and overflow give give to the needs of the church give to the needs of those around you in your community and the ones that would never walk forth into this church but need something give it to them that is the purpose and point of the text so this morning the question is quite simple what then are you going to do in your next step of obedience? What does faith look like for you to pursue righteousness, to stretch you and to mold you and to conform you into the image of his son? What does it look like for us? And for some, it's like, just go home and start the conversation with your spouse. Go home and start the conversation with yourself. Look at the budget. Because a lot of people, and I don't have time, I know I'm already running super late, which is par for the course, but, but a lot of people will say, okay, tithing 10%. We can have a whole long theological conversation about tithing. Does that carry over into the new covenant? What does that mean? But for now, I would say start at 1%. Start at 2%. Start somewhere where it requires faith, but it's not going to kill you. And then trust the Lord to provide. And as he provides, give more. And as he provides, give more. And as he rewards, give more. Here, uh, anywhere you come in contact with, the charity that you support, whatever it looks like, continue to give out of the overflow. Because nothing we can do can outgive God. We understand that, right? I mean, if he gave his entire life for us, the least that we can do is to give charitably. And I think that's what, as we end, I think that's what Jesus meant in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may be giving in secret. I think what he's getting at here is don't even let the left hand know what's happening because if your left hand or your right hand knows here's what's going to take place, you're going to talk yourself out of it. Just do it. If God has commanded us to do and promised he's going to reward us, just do it. So the different ways to give here and where it's going to our ministry partners, uh, Christ Through Baseball, Romania, the Pregnancy Center, all those different things, but also just paying the bills paying the, the mortgage, the staff, all the things that have to take place just for the church to function. There's three main ways that you can give. Number one is the church center app. It's a pretty seamless process. You can go on there, uh, give through the app. You can set it up as reoccurring, whatever you want to do in that regard. And even within that, if you top on your profile and then go to my giving, you can see what you've been giving. And please hear me, I don't see it. The elders don't see it. That's not something that we just gloat around about and looking at all these numbers. That's the farthest from the truth. But I do know this. 
out of sight is out of mind. And sometimes we think we're doing something to a level that the reality is we're just not. So you can log on there, see what you're giving, and see if that's stretching your faith. Uh, number two, obviously Sunday morning. This is an act of worship for us. So we'll be continued to be giving every Sunday morning. And number three, just to auto-withdraw. So you can set up through your banks for free. There's no processing fee. There's none of that for a check to be written out of your checking account and mailed to the church every single month. That's, that's what our family does. My, set, my pay is the same. The amount's the same. So we can just send it out of sight, out of mind. Don't even have to think about it. So, so regardless, there's a bunch of different ways that we can get lost in the weeds of the practicality. But I just want to remind you of what verse 4 says. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is what the gospel is calling us to do, to become more and more like his son. We've got to learn what it looks like to when we give, not if we give, but when we give for the glory of God. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians. I'm going to have one more thought, and then we're going to pray together, okay? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things in all times, you may abound in every good work. That's been my prayer for us this week, and will be as we move forward. That whatever God is doing in your heart is not out of guilt, it's not out of anything like that, but it's out of the gratitude that God has for us. And so Robert and the band is going to play this song together as we end. It's not going to be a, a normal um, ending, but I just want us to listen to those words. You don't have to stand unless you want to. But I just want to listen to the words that Robert and the band are going to sing as we consider how deep the Father's love for us is and all that he's done for us and how much we can trust him and how much we can love him. And if he's done all of this for us, how we uh, can protect ourselves from believing the lie that if we step out on faith, he's not going to catch us. That if we step out on faith, if we're obedient, he's not going to leave us to our own. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, sing together. You can just listen to this song sung over you and consider what it means for us this morning to step out on faith. Sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for you that you've really given everything to us, that you love us. And although this conversation can be uncomfortable, Father, we know that our money drives almost everything. And we want to become more like you. We want to, to love and serve and care for those around us and, and, and meet every need that we can come across. Father, help us to become more like you. Help us to become more generous. So, Father, let our motivation be clear this morning. That it's not to get you to love us. That we don't give money away. We don't tithe to the church. We don't give money to those in need so that you would love us, so that we could earn any kind of reputation in town. We give because of how much you love us and how deep that love is for us. So, Father, let us be reminded of that. Let our hearts swell with joy of how much you love and care for us.
And then let us ask the hard questions of what does faith look like for us today? What does obedience look like for us today? Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.